0: This is the third week now that we are in our series entitled Made for Mission. And if you've not been here for the last couple weeks or if you've missed a couple messages, I wanted to review just to catch up and get everyone on the same page. And so in week one, we saw the truth that we are all called. As a child of God, you are called to be on mission with God. It's not for a select few. It's not for the pastors and the missionaries and the paid evangelists. It's not, it's not for an elite group. It's not for those who've had the proper training. It's not for those who are younger or older or more mature or less mature or have more energy or have more money. It's for everybody. Every believer, the moment you accepted Christ as your Savior, God called you to live on mission with him. And, of course, that mission we've been seeing is the mission of getting the gospel to the world. God expects every single one of us to actively share our faith everywhere we go and to help others go where they can share their faith where we can't go. And that is the mission that God has called us to. He has strategically placed you where you live, where you work, in your family, so that you can serve Him on mission. God has a purpose for putting you on this planet. Then in week two, we asked the question, well, if we're all called to live on mission, why am I not living on mission? Why am I not doing what God has called me to do? And in a nutshell, we said this, that Jesus' mission is your mission. It is our mission to grow in a relationship with Jesus Christ and to introduce him to others. But the problem is there's a lot of distracting missions that we get on instead of getting on God's mission. We get on the mission of comfort, where we don't want to get out of our comfort zone or don't want to, don't want to make ourselves uncomfortable to be on mission for God. We, we seek our own comfort. We get on the, the mission of commitment where we're so committed to other things we can't commit to God. And then we saw the mission of conflict where there's conflict in our life. Well, I would serve Jesus, but I've got these other things that I need to do. And we need to identify these things that distract us from serving God, that distract us from leading on mission with God and get them out of our lives because Jesus's mission is to be our primary mission. So today we're going to answer the question, Okay, well, if I'm called to be on mission and if I've gotten rid of all the distractions, so I'm living on mission. Well, who is my mission? Who does God want me to go to? Who does God want me to serve? The Beals, of course, are going to Latin America. And so maybe, maybe God is calling someone in this church to, to go to a foreign land. Maybe you're called to go to Sub-Saharan Africa or called to, to go to the even the Middle East or some, some difficult places to, to preach the gospel. Maybe God is calling you there, and that's incredible. If God's calling you there, then don't stand, don't, don't resist a call. Do what God's called you to. But who specifically Because Every one of us have a call. Every one of us have a mission. So for every one of us, who is my mission. We all understand if we've been in church any amount of time, and especially if you've been at this church any amount of time, that we are supposed to share our faith. We are supposed to share how God's grace has changed our life. But does that mean we just walk up to random strangers and talk to them about it? Sometimes, yes. Sometimes God will tell you when you're going through the checkout line, hey, why don't you maybe just hand that that cashier tracks you or say hey why don't you talk to that waitress for a while hey there's that guy in the street in the line in front of you why don't you talk to him and strike up a conversation and share your faith with him and just try to encourage him or maybe invite him to church or yes yeah, sometimes God does do that and I'm sad to say most of the time a lot of us myself included we ignore that call you know God told me for a month to go talk to my neighbor and I had every excuse in the book well God I'm, he just moved in let him get settled well God I'm, I'm building my deck I'm too busy Well, God, I'm too tired, and God, it's late, and and finally last night, I was driving by his house, and it was late. It was after church, and we were heading home, and the Holy Spirit said, are you going to stop now? I said, well, you know what? Yes, I am. So I stopped right in front of his house about 9.30, knocked on his door. His big pit bull came out, but he didn't bark. I'm not sure if I'm more scared of a pit bull that doesn't bark or one that does bark. But he was big, and he's and he didn't make a noise. And the guy grabbed him, and he's like, "Oh, he's a lover. He's a lover." I'm like, "Oh, yeah, he looks like it." But I talked to him, invited, you him, told, invite said, "Hey, I'm just your neighbor. I've been meaning to stop by and introduce you to myself." And I talked to his wife for a second, and just said, "Hey, we're right over there. If you ever need anything, you know, just don't hesitate to ask. We'd love to have you over one day for a cookout or whatever." And I said, "But I got another reason I stopped by. I'm a part of a church in the area, and you never tell me you're the pastor because they're your neighbor, and they hear you." So it's like, I'm a, I'm a member, I'm part of a church over here, uh, over there. And so I said, we're having a big day next Sunday on Easter, and I'd love for you and your family to come be my guest. And he said, man, we're, we're, we're looking for a church, we'd love to be a part. And so God finally, I finally answered the call. And sometimes God does lay that on your call, on your heart to just go and do that. But so in some instances, that's what God wants us to do. But that's not the main people who are our mission. See, God has uniquely placed people in your lives to share your faith with them. To show them the changing power of Jesus Christ. These are your co-workers. That they get to see. Now look, this means if we're going to share our faith and show the changing power, the life-changing power of Christ, then our life should be changed. We shouldn't live one way on Sunday and another way Monday through Friday. And I, I know that's a big thing. You know, People always tell me, man, the church is full of hypocrites. Said, no, it's not. There's plenty of room for more. We can fill this place up with hypocrites. And look, the fact is, we all are. We, we all put on a facade. We, we want to put our best foot forward and make people. But we should have a, a changed life. And so we live a certain way and we encourage and God's place with people in our lives to share with them the life-changing power of Jesus Christ. And since God has uniquely placed people in my life and in your life for us to share the gospel with them, to make them our mission, how do we go about identifying who that is? And it is impossible to be a true follower of Jesus Christ and ignore the truth we're talking about today. So look in your Bibles in John chapter 2, starting in verse number 24. The Bible says here, Now, when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover and the feast day, many believed in his name when they saw the miracles which he did. But Jesus did not commit himself unto them, starting in verse 24, because he knew all men and needed not that any should testify of man for he knew what was in man. See, the Bible tells us Jesus knew everyone gathered that day. He didn't know them personally. He hadn't gone out to lunch with every single one of them, spent hours getting to know them. He knew what was in their heart. What? Because he's God and he can do that. But he knew what their struggles were. He knew what their burdens were. He knew what their doubts and their, their fears were. He knew all men. And as Jesus starts his ministry here, we're going to see in the next chapter, he, he knows all men, he knows who's searching, he knows who's needing. He gives us two polar opposite examples of people that God expects us to work in their lives, to go to them. So look at the next verse, in verse number, chapter 3, verse number 1. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. Now, of course, we all know the Pharisees were the religious elite. They were the ones who knew everything about the Old Testament Scriptures. They had made up all these extra-biblical laws to follow. And they were the religious people. They were what we consider today the super-Christians. They're the ones that, man, they read their Bible every day and they pray every day and they fast every day. You know, I fast every day, too. I fast every day, three times a day, between breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Well, usually between breakfast, snack, dinner, snack, lunch, snack. But we, you know, they, they, were just, they were the super Christians. Everyone looked up to them. Everyone thought, man, if anyone's got it together, they have it together. And Jesus has a conversation with this guy. Jesus ended up correcting some of the things that Nicodemus struggled with and some of the doubts that he had about his faith. And Jesus was able to, to witness to Nicodemus and, and do an incredible work in his life. And sometimes we have people in our lives that we think... Have it all figured out. Now we think, man, if anyone's got it right, it's that guy. Because they're super Christian. But just because we see what they're like on the outside doesn't mean they're still not struggling with their faith. One of the greatest fears I have as a pastor is one day I'm going to stand before Jesus Christ. And I'm going to have church member after church member go before me. And God says, they were in your church for 20 years and they never were saved. How could you let that happen? But God, they, they were faithful tithers. They they made the best broccoli casserole for for potlucks. Lord, they, they were they were always there. They were singing, and he goes. But they were struggling with their faith, and you thought they had it all together, so you left them alone. And so one of my prayers, I pray for all of y'all. When I pray, is Lord, if I know they they seem like they got it all together, they seem like they're right on. But Lord, if there's if there's any doubt, if they're not sure, God, Lord, use the preaching to convict their heart and have them accept Christ as Savior. And look, you need to understand, just because you've been at this church for, for X amount of years, and you're, you've tithed faithfully, and you've done this, and you, that doesn't mean you're going to heaven. You don't go to heaven because of anything you've done. You only go to heaven because of what Christ did for you on the cross. His death, burial, and resurrection is the only thing that can allow you redemption with God the Father. And so my biggest fear is I think, oh, man, they're coming to church, they're faithful, they're here on a Sunday, and it's raining, and they still got out up and came, and that's awesome, and, man, they're super Christians. But just because you've got people in your life that you think they have it all together doesn't mean they, met, they all did, they do and God been laying in your heart hey that co-worker that goes to the other church that you're always talking about God he, he's got some doubts you need to talk to him but then Jesus leaves this conversation he leaves a conversation with the super Christian the, the religious elite and he goes and talks to a woman that could be no further from from Nicodemus than it was possible the complete opposite of Nicodemus and Jesus is making a profound point by these two conversations. No one is off limits when it comes to talking about Christ. No one is too good and no one is too bad that we can say there's no point in talking to them. No one is off limits. So look in John chapter 4, starting verse number 1. When therefore the Lord knew how the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, though Jesus himself baptized not but his disciples, he left Judea and departed again into Galilee, and he must needs go through Samaria. Then cometh he to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near the parcel of ground Jacob gave to his son Joseph, now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied with his journey, sat thus on the wall, and it was about the sixth hour of the day. Of course, the sixth hour of the day was noon. And so Jesus is leaving Judea. He's going to Galilee. Now most Jews during this time went out of their way to avoid Samaria. The people in Samaria, of course, they were the Samaritans, and they, the Jews would intentionally make their trip longer to avoid this land because they hated Samaria the Samaritans. They looked at them as less than human. They were were considered half-breeds in their eyes. These were the people who had intermarried and bred with the people of the land, and so they were half-Jew and half-Gentile, and so the Jews despised them. And they would make it a point to go out of their way to avoid it, but the Bible says here in verse 4 that Jesus needed to go through Samaria. There was someone there he had to talk to. So he made it a point to go out of his way to go to Samaria. And so during his trip, he stops and he, he rests at a well. And while he's there, his disciples leave and they, they go into the village to, to find some lunch for everyone to eat. And while he's there, he meets a woman. And he has an incredible conversation with her. Look at verse number seven. <clears throat> then cometh, there cometh a woman of Samaria to draw water. And Jesus saith unto her, give me to drink. For his disciples were gone away into the city to buy meat. Then saith the woman of Samaria unto him, How is it that thou, being a Jew, askest drink of me, which is a woman of Samaria? For the Jews have no dealings with Samaria. And so Jesus is crossing cultural boundaries here to speak to this woman. He, I, you know, I don't think it's just he was so tired. He sat at the well and was like, oh, I'm just going to rest here. Oh, look, he knew this woman was coming. And he waited for her. And when she comes up, he says, hey, give me something to drink, would you? And she goes, why? Why are you talking to me? I'm a Samaritan. Jews don't, they don't talk to Samaritans. They don't, they don't take water from Samaritans because we're too dirty to take water from. Look at verse 10. Then Jesus answered and said unto her, If thou knewest the gift of God, and, knew, and who it is that thou saith thee, Give me to drink, thou wouldest have asked of him, and he would have given thee living water. The woman saith unto him, Sir, thou hast nothing to draw with, and the well is deep, from whence hast thou this living water? Art thou greater than our father Jacob? Yes. Which gave us the well and drank thereof himself and his children and his cattle. And Jesus answered and said unto her, Whosoever drinketh of this water shall never thirst. But whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. And so as we seek to answer this question, who is my mission? I want to show how the different people in this story saw this woman. First of all, how did, the, how did the woman see herself? Well, she saw herself. She came to the well at noon. And this was very important. Most people didn't go to the well at noon. They went to the well at morning. Why? Because it's cooler. And who wants to be lugging water from the well when it's noon and it's hot and the sun's beating down on you? And so they would go in the cool of the day before the day got started and get the water for the day and take it back. And this woman, she waits Until everyone's gone. She waits until there's no one else there to go to the well to get water. Why? Because she saw herself as shameful. She struggled with the shame of her past. We'll see her past in a bit, but she was a a broken woman. She was a woman who had a past and it was well known in the community. People knew how, how she had been and she had a bad reputation. And so I'm sure people mocked her. People ridiculed her. Hey, who's your husband this week? Hey, who you shacking up with now? And so she shamefully went when no one else was there. She made it a point to avoid other people. But look at how not only she saw herself, how the disciples saw her. They come to the same well Jesus comes. They're going into the same village that she's coming out of. They saw her on the road, but they ignored her. To her, she was irrelevant. To them, she was irrelevant. She wasn't worth their time to stop and say, hey, can we tell you about somebody that we've been following and we've been working with? Can we tell you about this guy, Jesus? They saw this woman going to get water, and they thought, oh, she's she's not worth it. She's not worth our time. We're hungry. We've got things to do. We've got things going on. She was irrelevant to them. They saw her, but they didn't care enough to talk to her. But then look how Jesus saw her. He said he saw that she was worth his time. She he saw, he saw her as valuable. He saw her as worth his effort and out of his way to meet her. She was worth crossing social barriers for him. She was worth going out of his way and doing something people thought was abnormal, so he would have a chance to meet her and talk to her. This woman had a lot of baggage. she had a lot of past to deal with, but she was valuable to God. She was persistent after she met God. Let's look, can you keep reading verse number 15. The woman saith unto him, "Sir, give me this water that I may thirst, no, no, that, I may, that I thirst not." Neither come hither to draw. So she still's not catching what he's saying. She's like, Oh, he's got this magic water. He's gonna sell me some water, and I never gotta come back here to get the well. So, hey, I can avoid the well altogether and don't gotta worry about meeting people in the day or avoiding, I can just stay at home and not worry about. It. So give me this water, so I don't ever gotta worry about getting water anymore. Verse 16, Jesus saith unto her, Go call thy household and come thither. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said unto her, Thou hast well said, I have no husband. Thou hast had five husbands, and he whom thou now hast is not thy husband, in that thou saidest, truly. Now, I've heard a lot of, of, of sermons focusing on this woman's shame and her sinfulness, and there is a lot to that. That's a part of her story, but that's, that's, not, the, that's not a part of her past that she's proud of, but the culture she lived in was a man-centered culture. Women were seen as second-class citizens. Men had all the power. It was acceptable for a man to have several sexual relationships before marriage and no one would think anything of it or say anything about it. And he could have this, this lifestyle with no social repercussions. If a husband wanted to divorce his wife, he just had to sign a certificate and kick her to the curb. So this woman, this isn't a woman that jumps around from man to man She's been used. She's been abused over and over and over again by multiple men. She knows what it's like to feel pain and loss. And she's carrying bitterness and probably some anger along with her shame. She is a broken woman, but here she is. She hasn't given up. She's still going day by day to get water from the well. Everyone else missed. Something that Jesus saw in her. Everyone else missed the value that God saw in her. And he saw what was in her. And he saw her persistence and saw, hey, if I can reach her, then her character, her persistence will do something great for the kingdom of God. He saw her for who she really is. Look down at verse number 39 of chapter 4. And many of the Samaritans believed of that city, Uh, Of that city believed on him for the saying of the woman, which testifieth, he told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans were come unto him, they besought him, and he would tarry with them, and he abode there two days. And many more believed because of his own word, and said unto the woman, Now we believe, not because of thy saying, for we have heard him ourselves, and know that this indeed is the Christ, the Savior. Of the world. So here, this they have a Jesus stays in this air in this town for two days because this woman who would receive Christ as her Savior is so excited and so persistent. She goes back to the town that ridiculed her, that mocked her, that belittled her, that made her feel so terrible, she had to wait until noontime to go to get water because the women shamed her so much. She went back to them and said, Hey, you've got to hear what I just heard. I just met the, the, the Savior of the world, he gave me living water and he forgave me all my sins, and he can do the same thing for you. And a mini revival breaks out in this city. Why? Because of this woman who was willing to do what made her uncomfortable, to go to the people that were in her life to get the gospel. This woman that people had cast aside, this woman that people had rejected, her, had her rejected she introduces them to Jesus, and this... This couldn't have been easy for her. I'm sure she pleaded with people to come meet the man who told her everything she'd ever done. She is one of the most surprising and dynamic leaders in the whole New Testament. And this is the woman the disciples just passed by on the street. And these are the people in the village that the disciples, while they were there getting lunch, not one of them said, hey, should we tell them about Jesus? No, let's just get our food and get back. Let's just, you know, go by Chipotle and get, get a burrito bowl and go back to Jesus. We're, we're done here. This woman who they had ignored, this town they had ignored, this woman goes back to them and the whole city gets saved because of her. It never crossed their minds to share with them, yet this, this woman sees that people desperately needed to meet their Savior. You have no idea what is inside people. So who's your mission? I think Jesus is teaching multiple lessons to multiple audiences here. Of course, Jesus' primary focus uh, while he was with his disciples was training them and making disciples. So he used every scenario to teach them a spiritual lesson. And Jesus would give the mission of reaching the world to the, of the, with the gospel to his apostles. So he needed to prepare them and they needed to learn this lesson. They would end up going to spread the gospel to the world and be used by God in incredible ways. But they had to learn this lesson. Who is my mission? very simply everybody everybody's your mission there's not one person one people group one friend one enemy one coworker one neighbor nothing everyone in your life is your mission now there's two types of believers here there are those who you have an easy time sharing your faith you enjoy Sharing your faith. You get excited when you get to talk to someone about Jesus and maybe they have no idea and you get to kind of explain in the gospel and you love to see someone's eyes open up and their spiritual heart open and accept Christ as their Savior. Man, you just, you love sharing your faith and you're good at sharing your faith, but there's the other group here and those are the ones who you you don't enjoy sharing your faith. It's not that you don't want to or don't realize you need to, it just makes you uncomfortable, makes you nervous doesn't come easily to you. Now, the the ability to really eagerly share your faith, is a spiritual gift, and you're thinking, well, God hasn't given me that gift, so I'm off the hook. No, you're not. Just because you're not good at it doesn't mean you don't have to do it. The lesson we learned from Jesus to the Samaritan woman is God has strategically placed you where you are to reach people. God strategically placed Jesus at the well to reach the Samaritan woman. God strategically placed that Samaritan woman in that village to reach those people. God has placed you where you are right now to reach the people in your life with the gospel. He has allowed you to have people in your life that you have influence over and you can influence those people and shine the light of the gospel of Jesus to those people who are still in darkness. This woman, she goes back to where she was from and she is compelled to share her faith even though it took her out of her comfort zone. I mean, this woman, she shared her faith to people who I'm sure had mocked her, had ridiculed her, had hurt her, had maybe been some of the men that had abandoned her. But she goes back and she shares her faith because she knew they were her mission to get the gospel to. When we see this done throughout the New Testament in Luke chapter number 8, The demon-possessed man, he was told to return to his household and describe the great things God had done. So he goes back to those who had kicked him out because he's crazy. Get rid of him. He's running around cutting himself, and we can't even chain him up, and he's scaring people. And he goes back to those people and shares the gospel with them. In Luke chapter 19, Zacharias was told that salvation had come to his household because it had come to him. And he would share his faith with those that lived with him. In John 4, the centurion's whole household was saved following the healing of his son. In Acts chapter 16, the Philippian jailer and his entire household was baptized. night. in the Why? Because the Philippian jailer got saved and said, you've got to give this to my family. They've got to hear what I've heard. They've got to get what I get. And he was placed in their life so that he could reach them. So, so what does that look like for us? God has strategically and intentionally placed you in your family, He has intentionally placed you with your neighbors, with your friends, with your co-workers, to reach them with the gospel. But it doesn't stop there. Everybody doesn't just stop with your friends. Everybody doesn't just stop with the the people you live with. doesn't just stop with your neighbors. Everybody includes every single person in the world right now. People you've never met, people you will never meet, people you don't even speak their language, people that are so far deep in jungles that they don't even know their language. Every person on the planet is your mission to get the gospel to them. Before Jesus ascended to heaven, he, he told the disciples gathered that they would be empowered by him to be witnesses for him everywhere. Acts 1.8, it says, But ye shall see power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you and you shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and in the uttermost parts of the earth. He didn't say, hey, you're going to be witnesses for me either in Jerusalem or Judea or Samaria. or No, he goes, you're going to be witnesses for me everywhere at the same time. And that command is for every child of God to share their faith with everyone in the world at the same time. So how do we how do we do that? Well, it starts by sharing our faith with those we live with, sharing our faith with those in our household, those in our neighborhood, those at our work, our friends, or sharing those that we do life with. And then it goes to our community. It goes from, hey, I'm going to share with the people I know to, you know what, I'm going to go with the pastor one Saturday, and I'm going to knock doors in the area, and I'm going to witness the people that are here. I'm going to invite them to church, hear the gospel. It goes to passing tracks out at the restaurant and at the gas station, everywhere you go. It goes with sharing the gospel and your faith with those in your community, but then we go from there to the world, and we share with the world through world missions. Men and women, like Nate and Tara, called by God to go where we can't go. Called by God where we sometimes don't want to go. To share the gospel with those we will never meet. We partner with them through prayer, through financial giving, to help them get to where we can't go. So that we can say, Lord, I'm I'm helping to get the gospel to everybody. We hope by giving to World Missions, through faith, promises, and you give above and beyond your ties and offerings to be a witness to those where you would never meet on earth. Look what Paul says about the church at Philippi and their work in witnessing everywhere. He says, "Now, ye Philippians, know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church communicated with me as concerning giving and receiving, but ye only." Paul says, Hey, when I left Macedonia to go share the gospel elsewhere, the only people that helped me, that supported me, that gave to me and encouraged me was you. You financially supported me as I left to go give the gospel elsewhere. For even in Thessalonica, you sent once and again to my necessity, not because that as I desire a gift, but that as I desire fruit, may abound to your counsel. Paul says, You took care, and I'm not, I'm not reminding you this because I needed more money. I want to want to get another paycheck from you. I'm reminding you of this because when you gave to me and I went and witnessed and served and saved, I saw people saved and baptized, that was on your account. You had a part in that. That means we here in Roanoke, Virginia can have a part of people receiving the gospel in Brazil and Ghana and the Philippines and Thailand and Belize and England and all the places we support. We have a part that every soul that's saved, every disciple that's made, we have a part in that because we faithfully, sacrificially gave. Not because they, they, the missionaries want a bigger house, because we want to have people saved by the grace of God. And then continue on. But I have all in abound, and I am full and am, am full, have received even of Epaphroditus the things which were sent of you, an odor of a sweet smell of sacrifice, acceptable, well pleasing to God. And here's a verse we all quote, but we quoted out of out of context. But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches, his, his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. And we all quote that. We have any. Well, but my God will supply my need. Well, I did it. Well, my God's, yeah, that, that God does say that, but He says it in context of our willingness to give to world missions. You know what that means to me? I can be wrong, but I don't think I am. I am, I am. I think you can't claim that verse unless you're giving to missions. That's for me personally. Unless you're faithfully giving, you can't say, well, my God's going to supply you my need. God's going to say, but you didn't keep the verse in context. You're not giving to world missions, so I can't supply your need. Now, we don't give to get. But that's a promise God has given us. God says, hey, if you're faithful to give, to get the gospel everywhere, I'll be faithful to take care of you. He doesn't say, I'll supply all your wants or all your desires, I won't give you. He goes, you are faithful to give so that others can go, I'll take care of you. You give by faith, God says, and I'll make sure every need you have is taken care of. That's a promise that God has given. That's an incredible promise. Promise from God. If we are faithful in giving offerings to missions, God is faithful to supply our need. That means your giving to missions isn't a finance issue, it's not a budgeting issue, it's a faith issue. Is your faith enough to trust God? God has called us to be on the mission of getting the gospel to everyone we can, personally and worldwide. This morning, I simply ask Will you fulfill the mission God has for you? Let's pray. Heavenly Father,